Welcome to this edition of the Adelphoi Podcast. I'm Jamie Masters, and I'm speaking to you from Adelphoi's North London outpost in July 2020, with my trusty assistant, Eddie. Hey, you all right? And I think Susie's floating around somewhere. Hi, love. Are you ready? Let's begin. This episode is the first of two about McDonald's. You know, the fast food company. You can't talk long about audio branding without coming up against McDonald's. Their current identity, which they've been using since 2003, is the single most convincing example of a particular kind of audio branding strategy. Everyone knows it. They can recognise it when they hear it. Well, hey guys, what's this? Maybe, maybe this one? Maybe this one. Uh, and they can usually sing it on demand. So your final answer? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. That's fine. As far as I can tell, it has completely fulfilled every possible hope the company could have had for it. And as a model of what audio branding can do, it basically took over from Intel as the standard reference point. Thank you, thank you. What interests me today is that it's the go-to example of a brand that puts out its theme in multiple arrangements. You know, different instruments, different styles. Many, maybe even most, of the long-term audio identities we're familiar with are actually pretty constant. A lot of them are TV or film production companies. That's HBO, of course. I could even have TV shows. Here's a brand that's probably very familiar to British people. They're often exactly the same piece of audio played every time, or close enough. This one's probably known to everyone. Now getting back to product brands, here's Duracell, for instance, which has used essentially the same sonic device since the early 1970s. And even if a brand does produce new versions, they're spaced out over many years and usually stick quite closely to the original format. Intel's the obvious example here, the original, and what they use now. But McDonald's has made a feature of putting out its theme in lots of different guises, different arrangements, in different styles. Pretty much every TV ad they've done in the US since about 2004 has had a different version of the ba-da-ba-ba-ba melody on it. It's not the only brand that has done rearrangements of its theme, but to my mind, McDonald's is one of only a small handful of brands to actually use that strategy successfully. That's meant to be quite a heretical statement. There's a popular idea in the industry that audio branding is all about the melody. So you can put the melody into as many styles as you like, play it on any instruments you like, you can adapt it for any scenario you might have, you can make it sound like part of an orchestral film score, or turn it into an electronic dance tune, or whatever suits the needs of the moment. So the thing you're looking for, according to this theory, 
is a brand theme that is flexible and adaptable so that you can put it into all those different styles and moods. A good example of that way of thinking is the new audio identity that came out from MasterCard last year. And at the time, the chief marketing officer put out a statement saying, uh, Eddie, can you do chief marketing officer? Cool. Can you hear me? We set out an ambitious goal to produce the MasterCard melody in a way that's distinct and authentic, yet adaptable globally and across genres. It is important that our sonic brand not only reinforces our presence, but also resonates seamlessly around the world. Thanks, that's that's spot on. So yeah, adaptable globally and across genres. That's what we're talking about. And to prove the point... They had eight versions of the tune already made in eight different styles, some of them actually with names of foreign cities attached. So I have a problem with that theory. I think most people would support the idea that one of the reasons you have audio branding is for consumers to be reminded of the brand whenever they hear it, which is that bit about reinforces our presence, and to connect with the brand on an intuitive non-rational, emotional level. That's what music's meant to be good at. If that is the point, then the melody is not the only thing doing the work. It's not even the most important. What people relate to when they hear a piece of music is the whole arrangement, the mood, the, the beat, the feel, the harmony, the instruments, the pace, dynamics, the performance... All of those things together are what give the piece its meaning, its its character. They all play a crucial part in how we feel about it. So when you reset your brand melody in a new style, you're taking away most of the elements that gave your theme its original character, and you're giving it a whole new character. From an audio branding perspective... Why would you want to deprive your brand of a consistent character, something that people can get to know and build a relationship with? Now, if your brand theme always appears in exactly the same arrangement, in exactly the same recording, then it's easier to remember and people are much quicker to pick up on it. I'm sure you must have had the same experience as I have of recognising a song you know really well just from hearing a couple of seconds of it, even the first chord. Here's one takes me back. I'm afraid to say it dates me. Maybe it dates you. Oh, oh. This is great. This, this is the best. That's Harrison Ford playing John Book in the film Witness. It's an iconic scene. I thought maybe someone would remember it. So, yeah, there's a, there's a moment of recognition that happens really quickly where all you get is the sense that you're hearing something you know very well without knowing exactly what it is. And that fills you with a nice, warm feeling. And then it takes a few more seconds to identify exactly what the track is. Now, Harrison Ford's just an actor, of course, but, yeah, it, it does happen to all of us. It happened to Susie last week. Luckily, she was in range of my telepathic, mind-reading microphone, so I was able to record exactly what she was thinking. Apologies for the sound quality. The the technology's still very new. I love this track. I love this song. I really love it, but what is it? 
Oh, it's madness, it's madness. So there's proof for you, if proof were needed. A lot of the power available to audio branding lies in this extraordinary intimacy we can develop with recorded music. Music that is exactly replicated. It stays with us forever, makes us feel warm and fuzzy when we hear it, like meeting an old friend. When you extract a brand melody from a track and reset it in a totally new arrangement, you're losing all those benefits. What's more, you're disguising it. You're taking away most of the cues that make it possible to identify it. And from an audio branding perspective, why would you want to make it harder for your audience to recognise your brand theme? So those are some big problems I have with that whole approach, and that's why I'm generally very down on brands rushing to put out their themes in lots of different versions. But McDonald's seems to have found a way to make it work for them, spectacularly well, and I think it's important to understand why, what they gain, and how they deal with the negatives. For almost the whole of its history, McDonald's has invested heavily in television advertising. Say in the USA, which is where most of my data is from, it has outspent all other fast food brands year on year, and is usually pretty high up on the list among all brands, irrespective of category. Since about 1980, McDonald's in the US has been turning out on average about 40 TV commercials per year, by my estimate. Sometimes fewer, sometimes more. Now don't think of that as nearly one ad per week, because that's not the point. These have generally been simultaneous campaigns promoting different products, and aimed at different segments of the population. So there have been ads specifically for Chicken McNuggets, or Big Mac, or filet fish or salads, or coffee or egg McMuffins. There's been special deals and promotions, ads for their drive through service or their late opening times. And then there's been the different target groups. Young children, slightly older children, teenagers, young adults, parents with children, and workers and commuters. White campaigns and black campaigns. So a huge variety of advertising content, and all of it had music. All of it was bound together by the brand theme of the time. Music in the early days meant sung jingles. And those jingles would be written around the current brand slogan, which would change every few years. But at any one time, you'd expect to hear the prevailing jingle with the current brand slogan, in probably several slightly different versions, maybe with different lyrics, maybe just mostly an instrumental with the slogan sung on the end. But all of this to accommodate the enormous diversity of their advertising content. So there's several points to make here about what McDonald's was up to, even from this early stage. First of all, there was a real and pressing need for musical variations. McDonald's was sending out completely different messaging to its different target groups, and as the brand developed over time, those groups were being ever more precisely segmented. 
different target groups did seem to call for different styles of music. Even so, and this is point number two, they went to great lengths to ensure that all their audience would be familiar with the current jingle. Whole ads would be devoted quite overtly to teaching the viewer how to sing them. Jokey ads like this one, where members of the public were seen struggling with the lyrics for the Big Mac song. To all be patty special sauce, lettuce, oh wait a minute. To all beef, patty special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. To all beef, patty special sauce, oh. To all beef, patty special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. To all beef, patty special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, sesame seed bun. Got it. And look. Here's Ronald McDonald literally teaching young kids how to sing the new jingle. Let's learn the McDonaldland song with Ronald McDonald and friends. It's a good time for getting together. Obviously, it was a huge advantage to them that they were putting out so many ads with so much airtime because that made the process so much quicker. I mean, they absolutely saturated the airwaves with these themes. Point number three. All of McDonald's brand themes, right up to the time of ba-da-ba-ba-ba, began as songs with lyrics. Some of those early songs are fully developed melodies with highs and lows and a bit of an emotional tug in the middle. Long melodies are enormously effective at making emotional connections, and when we remember music, it's often because of that emotional connection. Lyrics, of course, make the theme easier to recognise too. No matter how far a song may wander from its origins, the lyrics identify it. And the lyrics also make the tunes more memorable. It's an interesting one, this. Lyrics actually make it slightly harder to learn a tune right at the beginning, because there's just more to learn. But if there's enough repetition, and that means just three or four times, the tune and lyrics reinforce each other and stick in the memory much more firmly than they would do separately. And I've got a hypothesis that it's much easier to recognise a pure melody if it comes from a song where you know the words. It's like hearing the melody makes you play the words in your head. So even when McDonald's went on to adapt their themes and rework them as pure instrumentals, they were going to be easier to identify because they came from sung jingles. Point number four is about expectations. In the period we're looking at, which is from about 1980 onwards in the USA, the vast majority of McDonald's TV ads were soundtracked by the current jingle. Sometimes an ad would start in a completely surprising way, you know, with an entirely different song, but as long as we knew we were watching a McDonald's ad, we'd be pretty sure that the jingle would at least appear on the end in some form. And it's that expectation that gave McDonald's the licence to play around. And somewhere around the mid-80s, in fact, is when you can see the first glimmerings of a new advertising ethos. It stopped being just about suiting the style to the target audience. And it became more about trying things out, just because they could. Out of exuberance. Playing with the audience. Teasing them. Stretching them. Here's one of their jingles from 1984. The slogan is, It's a good time for the great taste of McDonald's. I don't have time to play the whole song, sadly, because the whole song is part of it, but 
Here's the sung slogan on the end. Here it is again, a bit different. And a bit softer. This is Ronald McDonald. Another one for kids. So, genre games, style games, started with this weird mashup of opera and country, starring Roger Miller. And that's Gladys Knight in there, too. Slightly less weird, Joe Cocker style passionate rock ballad. It might actually be Jennifer Warnes in there. And here's a Retro Andrews Sisters parody. Boogie woogie bugle boy kind of thing. And that really is James Brown. And this is for the young hipsters, I guess. And alongside the sung versions... The tune alone was adapted for various parodies and pastiches, mostly as an underscore. There's the inevitable Christmas chime version. There's this Hollywood romance. I wish this could go on forever. It won't. It's only available for a limited time. Don't miss it. McDonald's Double Features. A retro newsreel march. As easy as one, two, three. For today's people on the go. Something synthy. Brian, would you care to share with the rest of the class? Something weird for Halloween. Stocks up. And so it goes on. Oh, Eddie, how many of these have we got? About 74. Ah, well, maybe maybe not all of them, just, oh no. Let's make this the last one. So play Monopoly, do not pass go, go directly to McDonald's. So like I say, McDonald's were not unique in doing this, and it wouldn't be too hard to find brands that were trying out similar ideas themselves. But McDonald's was pioneering, if only in the scale of the ambition and the consistency with which their musical strategy was driven through. In that sense, they were decades ahead of the curve, and I can't help but wonder how much of what we think of as modern audio branding practice is actually based on principles worked out by McDonald's in the 80s and 90s. As we'll see, there are some obvious differences between then and now. One of those is how often McDonald's changed its jingles, effectively throwing away all that gained ground, all that familiarity and connection every few years. But with each change of theme, the audio strategy sharpened. As the 80s gave way to the 90s, and advertising generally turned against long-form brand songs, the jingles got simpler and shorter and snappier. Did somebody say McDonald's? So by the early 2000s, McDonald's was pretty much an expert in how to use a sonic identity in TV advertising. But the business itself was hitting a rough patch. In 2002, the company found itself in deep trouble. Its stock price was at rock bottom, 
It had made its first ever quarterly loss, it was getting bad press everywhere, and nothing less was needed than a worldwide revitalization plan with a complete change of strategy. But one thing that did not change was their belief in the power of music as a branding asset. Along with sweeping organisational changes across the whole corporation, McDonald's commissioned another brand jingle. In America and the UK, the theme was debuted as a full brand song, in a cool, up-to-date style, partially fronted by a major star, Justin Timberlake. And the song clearly laid out three key branding elements. The sung brand name, the Badabat melody as a vocalisation, and the sung campaign slogan. Of course, what this was really all about, the revolutionary part, was the Badaba, because from the start it was just a short melodic cell. Not a song, just a tune, just a rhythm with a melodic shape. That was a new thing for McDonald's, and I guess that's why it was handled so carefully. Even though it was just a melody, it was still sung, sort of scattered, and was framed on both sides by sung lyrics, which clearly identified the brand and the brand slogan. Like training wheels on a bike. And even then, the whole package was sewn up into a full brand song. Shortly after the debut, which made a big splash, these three brand audio elements began to get attached to other songs too, and so they came out in other styles. But they're always there, so everyone would be clear what that tune stood for. And then, gradually, the training wheels were removed. The whole process took about four years. Four years of trying it with and without the brand name and brand slogan across different ads, until the Badat Bar was able to stand on its own as the sole audio emblem of the brand. Sometimes it was still sung with those scat syllables, but actually less and less often, and by 2007 it was being played on just about any instrument they liked. Pianos. Lots of pianos. Electric piano. Guitar, of course. Acoustic. Banjo. Electric guitar. Synths. Endless synths. Brass, yeah, that was a popular one. Plinky plonks and tinkles and things. various kinds of orchestral. <laughs> and then 
some things that weren't instruments at all. The sheer variety of executions would be bewildering, but what saved it was that we all knew the tune. We all knew it was coming. It was like a Christmas cracker, or a fortune cookie, or, or actually like, like the toy in the Happy Meal. Every ad came with a free gift of whimsy. Some versions were funnier than others. The humour could be very broad. Or more subtle, like when R2-D2 from Star Wars gets to do the song. And maybe you're even meant to feel a bit superior when you manage to spot something particularly clever or well-disguised, like in this song about Spaceman Stew. This is the box it comes in. See? Get it? Stew! I might be overestimating how amusing or engaging this is for the average viewer. And sure, some of this variation is about speaking to McDonald's various target audiences, as it were, in their own language. But by being all things to all people, the Sonic ends up telling us almost nothing about the brand, except that it is exuberant and capricious and cheeky and fun and enlivening, which I guess isn't bad if that's the brand they want to be. But other brands that use the same strategy may not have the same idea. And it's also worth pointing out that it's a strategy that probably only works well on television, where the visuals are doing most of the work of identifying the brand. Now, on radio or anywhere where you're relying completely on audio to bring the brand identity to mind, it's a weaker strategy, because listeners lack the visual cues that tell them what to expect. And so in that case it makes more sense to stick to one recording of one version of the theme that functions as the audio equivalent of a visual logo. In the UK we've seen much less of this variety of arrangements, at least for the ads aimed at adults. I'm Lovin' It was a global campaign, and in fact McDonald's first global campaign, the first time that all the territories were required to use the same brand theme. But it's evident that a lot of leeway was given to individual territories to use the theme as they saw fit. And, on the whole, the UK operation dutifully paid lip service to the new strategy while they had to, But, apart from the Happy Meal adverts for kids, they did everything they could to avoid getting sucked into elaborate musical games. The UK is a very particular territory anyway, highly jingle-averse, deeply anxious about any music that sounds too contrived or deliberate. As soon as they decently could, around 2006, they fixed on one version of the tune, a simple, unaccompanied whistle. Something that sounded light and a bit cheeky, without saying too much. And that's been their default Sonic logo ever since. I think there's a lot to say for it as a TV Sonic. And on radio, I think it's brilliantly effective and does all those things that you'd hope a Sonic logo would do. Cutting through visual distractions, casually sneaking past people's mental filters, instantly bringing the McDonald's name to mind. So I've not finished with McDonald's yet, and I'll be coming back to it in another episode. But I want to wrap up for now with a few trenchant observations about brands that use the same strategy. 
when it comes to TV advertising, most brands don't have the real and pressing need to keep changing how their sonic identity sounds on every ad. Most brands don't have the TV exposure to get audiences familiar enough with their theme to make it work. Most brands, as far as I can see, haven't really thought about what all those different arrangements do, what they say about the brand, and at what cost they come in terms of brand recognition and emotional connection. So that's it from me, Jamie Masters. Until next time, this podcast was brought to you by Adelphoi Music. Adelphoi Music is a music company based in the heart of London and Amsterdam, connecting brands with their audiences through music and sound. <laughs>